Your financial mission, should you choose to accept it, is to achieve financial clarity. New Intel suggests that bad financial actors are constantly filling the landscape with misinformation and other barriers and obstacles, leaving you with limited time to make the right choices for a successful financial future. To make things easier, we've chosen your team for you. Financial Commander Janine Theus will help lead you to success. As always, should you avoid the excellent guidance you're about to receive, you'll be disavowed. Also, this message will self-destruct in three seconds. Three, two, one. Your Financial Mission is the podcast, and I'm Walter Storholt alongside Janine Theus. She's the CEO and founder of Theus Wealth Advisors, your financial commander here on the podcast, an office in Columbia, Howard County area. You can find her online at theuswealthadvisors.com. Janine spent 21 years as a naval intelligence officer, and she now gives us the straight skinny military term for you non-military folks on your financial plan and uh, we love hearing her perspective on things and you strike me janine as a glass half full person in most areas of life would my assumption be correct i think uh yeah that's that's pretty true with with a side of cynicism (laughs) (laughs) that's probably true too okay all right Um, i I think i think the older you get you get a little bit jaded on a few things Uh uh-huh yes (laughs) Yes. We used to call my dad negative Nancy growing up a lot. And it's so funny because he's just the he's actually an extremely positive person. But boy, he just gets on these little tangents where he just becomes so negative and pessimistic about things. And it's just so funny to see someone that's generally so positive on certain things will just go full blown negative the other direction. So we always well, and, and, you know, we all we all we hear in the media or the news is negative news. Yes. It's mm-hmm. constant. And yep. so it's very easy to have this subliminal fear. I used to, Janine, read the comments sections on news articles a lot, and I realized they were making me really angry. And so I just stopped <laughs> reading them, and life got a lot better. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It helped me become a, you know, back to that glass half full kind of person. So that, yeah, exactly. that's good to know. Well, there's a lot of changes. There are a lot of trends and issues that we're going to face in 2018 when it comes to finances, and even beyond that as well. So what I'm asking today on our podcast, do you view these individual issues as kind of a glass-half-full situation or glass-half-empty? Are you pessimistic or optimistic for the future of these particular items that I'm going to throw at you? So let's start with the third rail of politics, the stability of the Social Security system. Glass-half-full or glass-half-empty on that topic? Ooh, that's a tough one because there are a lot of factors that affect that. I would say I'm glass half full and that's because we're now growing the economy and the wage base is increasing and the ability for companies to grow and expand is extremely important for the stability of Social Security. Why? Because Social Security, 97% of Social Security brings its money in from payroll taxes. So the more people are employed paying taxes, the better off Social Security is going to be. If you restrict or constrict the job market, then that's going to obviously affect the amount of money that's going to be available for Social Security. Now, the interesting thing where everybody thinks this is a huge entitlement program, first off, Social Security is not an entitlement program. We all paid in. (laughs) And 
Congress has done some crazy things with the trust fund over the years, many years. But in general, we all paid in expecting to get some kind of pay out. It was never meant to be a retirement only distribution system. And obviously, the more money you make, the less a percentage Social Security fills in the gap for. So if you're a under $50,000 earner, more of Social Security is going to pay more of what you expect as an income. But the higher earner you are, Social Security is a smaller percentage of that income. And that's the way it was designed. But I think that with the increase in the GDP, we just had a 3.3% for the last quarter, which is pretty doggone huge. If we can keep growing the economy and the wage base and creating jobs, which is interestingly enough, yes, that's based on a lot of policy, tax policy gross policies in government. And people need to understand how that's connected to Social Security because it is really important. But it's definitely, I think that Social Security is going to be around for a long time. They may change how they pay out benefits. It's such a huge system. I think it's 60 million people are on Social Security that you can't just pull the rug out from under people or there will be a revolution, I think. Mm. But, you know, in 2016, 21% of elderly married Social Security beneficiaries received 90% or more of their income from wow. Social Security. 90%. Mm. 90%. That's huge. As of 2017, just to give people an idea, Social Security pays an average of 16320 per year to retired individuals. That's not a lot. So, yeah. And um, let's see, the poverty threshold for individuals over 65 was 11500 So... In our area, we're a little bit skewed where incomes are concerned and our perceptions, et cetera, because this is a high earning area. I think all the coastline from New York to Florida and then, you know, from Seattle down to San Diego, there are a lot of high earners in these areas. But when you look at the rest of the country, if the median income is about forty eight to fifty thousand dollars, you know, you're talking about much lower income thresholds. So I really do think Social Security is going to be around. It's just, you know, in years in the future, say 2030, 2035, depending on how we can grow the um, economy now and job wage base now is going to affect where we are in 2030, 2035. So it sounds like you're glass half full on Social Security existing and not disappearing completely but glass half empty on its stability and that it's going to shift and change and maybe some of the liquid in the cup is going to evaporate a little bit. So it's... Well, and that's definitely a possibility, but it's really going to come down to what is Congress going to do to keep it a stable platform? And I just don't think they're going to... I mean, they've already messed with it in 2015, 2016 by changing the the claiming rules, you know, for uh, married filing jointly. And... So that actually took a lot of money off the table for citizens because they're ostensibly they're trying to make it stretch. But the biggest, best saving grace for the trust fund is to build the wage base. And by the way, the millennial generation is bigger than the baby boomer generation. So we need to get these guys out of mom and dad's basement and <laughs> into the workforce. <laughs> exactly. And then we'll just have this exact same problem likely when uh, us millennials go to retire in, in 30 years. We'll, yeah. we'll need another generation bigger than us to help kind of prop the whole thing up. So yeah, we'll, we'll renew this discussion again after it gets solved here in the next couple of years. We'll renew it again in 30. 
Um, yeah, I know. I think that the tax reform bill that's currently being lobbied back and forth, you know, the House passed it, Senate passed it, now they're in reconciliation. And so they're playing tennis and it's going to be horse trading going into this. But I think a lot of things coming out of that, at least initially, are going to help. So we'll see what really comes in. And it's going to take a year or two to really see the impact of that. Yeah, these things aren't aren't necessarily immediate. It takes a little bit of time right. to evaluate the impact of it all. And they can model th- certain things as much as possible, but w- what it actually does in reality doesn't always match. And so we've got to, you know, see what happens and adjust from there also. So we'll keep our eye on it. And uh, that's obviously going to be something that'll be in the news and something we'll be talking about a lot into the future. All right, Janine, half glass full or half glass empty, glass, glass half full or glass <laughs> half empty. I guess you can't really mix those words up and it still makes right. sense. Healthcare <laughs> affordability in the future, what's your optimistic or pessimistic view there? Well, one of the recent statistics I heard is one in two people who are 65 or older are going to end up in assisted living. So that's a healthcare issue for real. And folks need to plan for that. I think healthcare is being, I would say, somewhat manipulated by insurance companies. And until we deal with some of the insurance companies' stronghold or grip over the whole issue of health care between patient and doctor, that's going to be an ever-changing landscape. And I think that prices, even though technology is bringing a lot of costs down significantly in some areas, other things drive it up. And so we need to change how we are allowed to administer it and who, how it's available, for instance, in, uh, across state lines. If we could make healthcare insurance like auto and home insurance, then it's going to become much more competitive, much lower cost, and you're going to have access to better care, believe it or not. When you start getting healthcare costs so expensive, then very fewer people can afford it. So that's going to be a real issue for those hitting 65 in the next few years unless they get a handle on this. I think that's a much bigger issue than Social Security. Yeah, yeah. So, so maybe a little closer to the half-empty view of healthcare affordability. I, I just don't see how it can stay affordable in the, in the long term with the demand and with the way we've seen uh, inflation already take its toll in, in the healthcare industry. It just, it, that's hard not to have a pessimistic view of that. It really is. And when you, when you talk to folks who are paying $1,000, $1,500 a month for a family of four for healthcare coverage, because they've, you know, in Maryland, they're, if you're an independent, a business owner and not a large corporation, there are only two options available oh, it's for you a, to go to. It's insane. Janine, in, in order for my wife and I to have coverage, it would be more than our mortgage. And that would be just the monthly fee, not yes. not taking into account that then the out-of-pocket max is something like, you know, 20000 or something like that. So we're on the hook for so much money if we ever have an issue. How can anyone afford that? Well, and that's, you know, if you get into the political aspect, which we won't do here, but, you know, there, I think this was an attempt in the way it was structured to, I want to say crush the whole middle class because you're bankrupting people, requiring them to buy this insurance so that they can have health care. And the tax reform bill that's now being decided upon is getting rid of the mandate to buy. So that's going to free up a lot of options. And I think that's just the first in the dominoes that need to fall so that we have a much more competitive system. But you're right. How can you afford that? And yes, if you have a catastrophic incident that 
you know, you need surgery, you have a major accident or illness, it's extremely expensive. I mean, the ICU is probably what, $6,000 a day. Mm. And who can afford that without insurance? And insurance was originally meant to be a catastrophic care type of situation. And we were supposed to pay first dollar cost right. to the doctor, but it's morphed and it's an ugly morph. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> and, and so um, I think that this is a really big issue that we need to clean up. Yeah. So a little bit of a pessimistic view there, it sounds like, on the healthcare right. affordability, but probably rightfully so. All right. Another topic, glass half full or half empty on this, tax rates in the next decade. This is an interesting one, given the current climate, given the, the current decisions that are being made, but also considering the fact that we are in a uh, relatively low tax environment historically. I don't know uh, which direction you'll go in on this one. What do you think about tax rates in the next <laughs> decade? Half full or half empty here? Depends, I guess, on whose tax rate you're talking about. Um, <laughs> I think folks are going to be genuinely surprised because a lot of folks were not necessarily paying attention back in the 80s when we lowered tax rates and the economy boomed. But if you go back and look at what those tax rates were back in the 80s when Ronald Reagan, President Reagan, lowered tax rates, the rates were very high. And so he lowered them and we had this huge economic boom. Yes, our tax rates are lower now, but I think if we lowering the corporate tax rate to 20%, it really should be 15%. There's a huge amount of money that is outside of the United States that is going to come back into the United States, which allows for job growth and expansion. So I think the tax rates for the individual who's making, you know, married filing jointly under 250,000, 150,000, it's going to be significant. I, I know some people don't aren't ready to believe that yet. But if you double the standard deduction, you know, some of the deductions that they're horse trading on, people are pissed off about like the interest deduction, which is one of the few deductions W-2 earners have. Yes, we should keep it. <laughs> <laughs> those kinds of things, they're either you know, going back and forth on the child care credit, education credits, et cetera. We can debate those, but they really do need to lower the brackets and widen them so that there is more skin in the game for more people. Increase your wage base, your wage tax base. But I think what's coming is going to be very, very good for the economy overall. What's not going to be so great on that side is the high earning W-2 earner who has very little wiggle room when it comes to taxes and deductions. And in fact, the higher you earn as a W-2, the more things phase out. So you really do get hit. And that's not fair. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot that's not fair in this world, and uh, sometimes we just got to deal with it and keep moving on. And uh, tax rates, it's always going to be in that vein as well, that conversation. Well, and, and, I think, and I really think people do need to make their voices heard Yeah, because a lot of people just say, I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that. And, and we all grouse and we get on with our lives. And sometimes you just have to mail in those ugly letters <laughs> <laughs> or send in some goofy faxes. <laughs> yep. And some of those, uh, you know what, they're effective. Uh, so yes. make your voice heard. And it may not be effective in the immediate term, but it can be long term. So uh, keep that in mind as well. All right, one more topic. Let me see if your glass half full or half empty on this one, Janine. The next five years in the stock market. I guess another way of saying this, are you bullish or bearish on the stock market five years timeline on this? I'm bullish because when you look at five-year revolving, revolving, or let's just say five-year revolving market to returns, I believe 78, I think the statistic is 78% of the time, the market is positive. 
So it's very, very rare to have multiple years in a row of a down market. And yes, we might get a blip. And I call it that because when the market goes down, it's not really a correction. The market moves based on news. And we've talked about this many times. But overall, over the long term, the market is going to be a positive. And so when you go to 10 years, it's about 92% of the time it's positive. Over 20 year periods, it's 100% positive. So if I'm retiring today and I've got 25 years to 30 years, I need to plan for a blip. But overall, if I plan properly and have my allocation and investments properly you know, diversified, I'm gonna be the winner. And so I'm very bullish on the stock market because I nobody knows what technology is going to bring, what companies are going to be developed. Even just in medicine alone, medical technologies that are developed. I mean, I don't know about you, but the last time I was, I think it was in, was in the ER with somebody and just noticing the Band-Aids they were using or the things they were using to um, lock in the IV, IV needles. I was pretty stunned with the technology of just that. So there's all these things that are developing that we don't see on our day to, in our day-to-day lives. And you can't predict that because nobody knows what the next technology is going to be. There's so much innovation around us constantly, yeah. Yes, yeah. And I don't know if you follow Peter Diamandis at all. I mean, he's, he's an incredibly positive force looking at future technologies. He founded the Singularity University. The stuff that's out there that people are working on is unbelievable. So I think that overall, we might have a little bit of a blip, but I think we're in for a really nice ride up. A nice ride up. Well, I think that puts the cap on whether you're a glass half full or half empty person. A half empty person would have ended the conversation on a down note. You ended it on a positive note. So there you go. I think I think it's decided. You're slightly glass half full, just just a little bit more. So congratulations. You're a very positive Oh, thank person. you. <laughs> you, passed the, you passed the test here. So think about what you are. Are you a glass half full person about your financial plan? Maybe you're wearing, uh, you know, the rose, like a favorite sports team, and you're analyzing your favorite sports team. You might say like, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a North Carolina Tar Heel fan. So we might say we're, you know, we're wearing those Carolina blue shades in a, over our perspective, or, you know, that might be clouding your judgment a little bit. Maybe if you're if you're really, really optimistic and you have no pessimism whatsoever, maybe that's not accurate. Maybe there are a few things that you should be wary of and uh, you know, a little bit cautious of, maybe have a little bit more pause over and have a little bit of that pessimistic view. And the same works the other direction as well. If you're kind of pessimistic about everything, well, that's no way to go through life. And it's also probably not realistic either. So have a conversation with Janine Theus and the team at Theus Wealth Advisors and think a little bit more about whether to view these things as positive, negative, how does it impact you on an individual basis? That's an important element of the conversation to have. And you can have that conversation by getting in touch online at theuswealthadvisors.com, theuswealthadvisors.com, or just call Gracie at 443-718-6311, and she'll get you all set up with Janine. That's 443-718-6311. This has been another edition of Your Financial Mission, and we'll look forward to talking to you again on the next podcast. 